Welcome to the Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Uh, this evening, I've got a message for you that I want to bring that God has been putting in my heart. And there's several different titles, and that's the worst thing. Titling a sermon is one of the worst things about preparing a sermon. You know, what do you want to emphasize, you know, uh, in the title? And um, so usually I do pretty good with it. And this one, I've, I've got a title, but I'm not 100% happy with it. But maybe, maybe it'll go okay anyway. All right. But we're going to be going out of Ezekiel, and then we're going to be going out of Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. We're going to end up in 1 Peter 5 and then in Revelation 20. So, yes, you can tell people he preached from Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> and, uh, but the message is entitled, There's Still a Devil. There's Still a Devil. All right? How many of you know that the devil has not yet been bound? He's not yet been cast into that fire. And so there's still a devil that is operating on the earth. Now, not everything that happens that is bad comes from the devil. Human beings are very capable of doing bad things. And so sometimes it's the human factor that is going on. Uh, but many times, even then, it's the devil kind of encouraging that type of behavior and that type of a, a mindset. And so the first scripture that I'm going to go to is Ezekiel uh, 28, 13, and 14. So anytime you go to Ezekiel, you know that you know, people are kind of like, whoa, it's Ezekiel, you know, because it is a very, very deep book. But in uh, verse 13... Talking, the, the writer is talking uh, by inspiration uh, to, to the devil and about what God has been doing in, or had done in the Garden of Eden. And it says, You were in Eden, the garden of God, and then every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper. Sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. And I didn't include this, but I'll add it. Uh, verse 15, you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. Pray for an unction and utterance to preach this word, that it may be a living word. And Father, we preach also and pray that you will receive, touch every mind to receive what is needed from this message into their heart and into their life. And we give you praise. Uh, give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. 
Don't let it be the last time, right? Okay, so one of the things that stood out to me very quickly in verses 13 and 14 was the statement about these things were prepared for him on the day you were created. And this is a very distinctive difference between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and the existence of a devil. So many people believe that the devil is the equal opposite of God. That as God is so great of truth, the devil's so great a liar. As God's so great uh, of light, the devil is in darkness. But in fact, God has no equal opposite. There is no equal opposite to God. And so we find that uh, the devil, at first his name was Lucifer, um, that he was created by God. God said also that he was anointed. The anointed cherub who covered. And I established you when you were on the holy mountain of God. And you walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. So as we look at this, verse 15, he goes on to say, You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. And so we discover from the revelation that God is giving to Ezekiel the prophet that yes, of course, there is a devil. He was not created as the devil. He was created as an anointed cherub. And so a cherub, of course, is one of the classes of angels. There's cherubims and and seraphims, and there's good teaching on that. And so God prepared him. God put instruments in him. When he moved, music played. Isn't it amazing how that in our culture, one of the greatest weapons of the enemy is music. It's music and words, songs. Statements and words that are brought forth through songs that at the same time those words are being spoken through the song that emotion is being created in people. And, and people become sensitive to that. And <clears throat> it is easier to interject something in your soul when your soul is tender. Amen? And the enemy knows that. And so, there's still a devil. It's not all human failure. It's not all humanity. But there are people that are certainly driven by the devil. Now, not everyone who does wrong has a demon. Human beings are are capable of being sinful without the devil (laughs) or without a demon. But you do see sometimes that people are greatly bound with a particular, a particular thing. Uh, that they may go on good for a while, but in, in a certain season of time, maybe they keep yielding or failing in a particular direction. They keep making the same sin. It may have been a year ago since they sinned that sin. And they walked well with God and all of those things, but then things begin to develop and they fall into that sin. It could be five years, it could be 10 years, it could be 20 years. Uh, but uh, people are able and capable to walk in sin. And then the enemy 
is capable of coming alongside of that temptation. The Bible makes it clear that God is not the tempter. It's the devil that is the tempter. And when you're being tempted through your flesh and into your soul and spirit by a voice in your head, we just say, well, that was just a thought. Well, you got to weigh out your thoughts, right? Where did that thought come from? And so just as we can get in somebody's ear and speak something, so can the kingdom of God speak something into your ear, and so can the kingdom of darkness. And so we, we know as we begin the message that the devil is a created being, that he was a musical instrument on two feet, and that he has a great influence in the world today still through music and uh, singing. It said that he was beautiful. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was in Eden. And so this had to take place before God put Adam in Eden. That Satan was, when he came to the earth, he was in Eden. And then in the, a measure of time, God said, of course it's in Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. And so God began the creation of mankind. And when God had created mankind, He took the first man named Adam, and then He took, of course, His wife with Him, uh, Eve, Adam and Eve. And so He took them and He put them in the garden that the devil used to inhabit. Where the devil used to live. When he came to the earth, that's where he operated from. And God made Adam and Eve and he, he put them into the Garden of Eden. And so, he gave man the position and the responsibility and the rights over that part of this world, the, uh, the Garden of Eden. We really have no idea how big the Garden of Eden was. I don't think it's a backyard garden. <laughs> right? I think it's much bigger than a backyard garden. And the Bible doesn't give us everything, but there was a lot of activity. You know, that went on through there. There were multiples of uh, children that were born. We know, of course, of Cain and Abel that were born while Adam and Eve were in the garden, or I think one of them may have come after that. Uh, I'll have to look at that. Seth. Seth come after that. Uh, but, but God put them in that garden, and it really is interesting to see how that the devil was there in Eden and put there in Eden. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was for your covering. So God put him there for a purpose. But at his fall, he relinquished, had to relinquish Eden and God put a new creation into the garden and he really kind of began again. And he gave Adam and Eve his word and he walked with Adam. God walked with Adam in the cool of the evening. Isn't that amazing? That God came down and walked with mankind. I believe He still does that. 
Not necessarily does he come down, do we see him in the physical, uh, but I believe that he walks with us in our thoughts and he begins to speak into our spirit and speak into our soul. And you know what I'm talking about. You've been praying for something and, and then suddenly answers begin to come and, and you're asking God, what should I do about this? And thoughts come into your mind and, and sometimes people say, well, that was only a thought, but sometimes that is a God thought that he, you've been asking God, you've been praying to God and God is speaking. And so uh, for some reason, uh, this, this devil, this, uh, this Lucifer, uh, this Satan, this one that was put in the garden, he lost his rights to it. And so God did not leave it vacant, but he put Adam, Adam and Eve there. So that's very interesting. And so we see verse, uh, let me see. In verse 15, he said, You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. So he is speaking, God is speaking first about Adam and putting him in that garden, doing this work, uh, you know, that, that God had for him. But then he begins to speak as to why Lucifer lost that estate, why that he was no longer uh, able to operate and walk with God in the same garden that Adam was now walking with God. And so uh, the devil messed up. The devil fell in love with himself. He looked in the mirror too long. He thought his wisdom was so wise that he was even wiser than God. He thought he knew more than God knew. And those are the things that the enemy tries to put in our mind. I don't know how many times in the 30-some years that I've pastored that uh, you know, from time to time, people will say, but pastor, don't you think that Bible's an old book? I mean, that's an old book, and, and this is a modern time. This is, this is a new time, and, and this book is an old book. And, and don't you think that an old book, maybe, maybe it falls to the side, and, and we yield to the newer knowledge in this world, and all of those things. And I say, no, no, I don't think so. You don't think the book is an old book? No, I believe the book is a living book. I believe it's a living book. I believe it was breathed out of the mouth and the nostrils of God Jehovah that He moved upon just mere men and began to speak to them and they began to write what God had moved through them and, and it began to compile and produce the Bible that we have today. God spoke to people over several thousand years, about 3,000 years. Uh, God spoke into the prophets and then into the disciples and all of those things that had happened in about 3,000 years God spoke. And then, isn't it amazing when you consider how that Isaiah uh, is mentioned in the book of Acts? You know, how the things that were in the old covenant were a foreshadow and a foretype of God getting ready to do something. Adam and Eve walked with God for eons of time. 
We don't know how long that it was, but until they fell, they walked with God and had the knowledge of God. When they fell, God put them out of the garden and He no longer walked with them. For how could He give Adam and Eve, now sinful, the knowledge of the kingdom of God? How could He continue to pour that into a sinful soul? And a sinful heart. So they were kind of quarantined and sent away. But they'd heard and learned a lot of things. And so uh, the devil himself, he began to, uh, as I said, look in the mirror. He began to become proud of who he was. And finally, he just says, I will arise. And I will go against the Most High God. And I will sit on the seat, I think he said, in heaven, in the most high seat. I will sit there. I'm going to dethrone God, is what he was saying. I'm going to dethrone God, and I'm going to sit in that seat. And I'm going to rule from there, because he felt like he was smarter than God. Right? And he was wrong. He was wrong. That was so dumb, wasn't it? That was so human, wasn't it? But he wasn't a human. He did not get a chance to repent because he never moved by faith. He didn't have a faith life. He had a sight life. He saw God sit on the throne. God's glory emanated from the throne. For eons of time, he absorbed the the glory of God, that he saw the wisdom of God, the power of God. And so when he fell, there was no redemption because he did not simply fall into sin, but that he, he rebelled. And uh, when he was rebelled, he was quarantined. He could not continue to learn and to grow and to hear and see the things of God. But could you imagine a mere angel saying within himself that I will arise. I will sit on the seat of God. I will dethrone God. And I will be like Him. I will be God instead of Him. Right? That's the wrong thing. So that is the heart. I want you to understand the heart of the devil. How that, that Lucifer became Satan. He moved from luminosity to rebellion. And, and when the rebellion comes, how many of you know that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? And that's not my statement, that's Scripture. <laughs> rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Well, what is that? What is rebellion? What is witchcraft? Rebellion or witchcraft is this. I'm going to do my thing my way no matter what anyone else says, no matter what anyone else thinks. I'm going to live in my life and do my thing until I'm just going to live out my whole life. Nobody is going to have authority over my life. If that is not in the culture of the United States of America today, I don't know what is. And thank God that there are many and multitudes of people in America that are believers, that do believe in Jesus Christ, and they do follow after the things of God. Thank God for that. But the the culture is crying out, I'll do it my way. Uh, Grammy award winning songs, I did it my way. Well, I tell you, there's a better way. There's a better way than my way. Amen. There's a Yahweh. (laughs) There's a Yahweh. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is a God right now sitting on the throne. He's not an image. He's not a reflection. 
He is God. He is alive. You, you could pinch him if you wanted to, but I wouldn't recommend it. But God is on the throne. And he is there right now. And we're serving him. God sent his son. And now he lives in our heart. And the son is sitting at the right hand of the father. Making intercession for us. He's praying for us. Amen. God is for us. And if God be for us, then who can be against us? Can I say tonight, and maybe you can weigh it out, that our biggest enemy is not actually the devil. That our biggest enemy is our flesh, our thoughts, our mind, our humanity. Our biggest enemy is a fallen world, a fallen race, uh, and man now trying to walk in, in his own understanding. When the Bible says, lean not to your own understanding. Right? Amen. And so this is the challenge of Christian living. It's the challenge of living. Uh, that we are able to uh, do what God would have us to do. And to follow Him even when this seems more profitable. Or this seems more uh, physical. Or something just more pleasurable. Amen. And so we look at this. There's still a devil. So we find out in Genesis 3 verse 1 through 5. We find out that after God had taken Adam and Eve and put them in the garden. He put them there instead of the cherub that should have been there. The one who fell. And uh, this devil that became Satan. And so God put them in the garden. And so the devil, he decided to make him a partnership and he, he made a partnership with a snake. And so I'm talking about there's still a devil. <laughs> and uh, we know him in different ways. One of the ways that we know him is a hissing serpent. He is as a hissing serpent. He came, he came to Adam and Eve. Hath God said that you can eat of all of the fruits of the trees of the gardens? Has God said you can eat of all the fruit of the trees of the garden? Oh, no, 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 God did not say that we were to eat of all the fruits of the garden. God said this fruit, this tree, in the middle of the garden. And listen, the Garden of Eden was huge. It was huge. And so, the middle of the garden wasn't just, you know, you had to kind of go there. <laughs> and so... They said, well, we can eat of all the fruits of the garden except for the fruits that are on this tree. Isn't that something? Adam and Eve did not make that, they did not receive that thought until the hissing serpent seeded it. We don't know how long they were in the garden. They could have been there 10,000 years. We know that by the time they were cast out, that there were cities of people that had come from them. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so we don't know how long it was. But when they yielded, the very time they yielded, you see, the tree that God said that you are not to eat of is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent came and said, why doesn't God let you eat from this tree? Is he wanting to keep you naive? Is he wanting to keep you innocent? Why did, is God not allowing you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Do you know that the things that when you grew up in life, the things that you avoided of this world in your youth are the things that you will not have to fight in your adult life. The innocence that you keep, the, the naive, they would say, that you keep, you don't have to battle that. There's things you're not tempted with because you've never had a taste of it. There's nothing, there's nothing there to draw you now because you honored the Word of God and you, uh, you know, or just maybe you just did good. Maybe your parents were just real good parents and helped you out alongside of the church, alongside of Jesus Christ. But we don't preach to our children, don't do this and don't do this and don't do that just for the sake that we don't want them to have any fun. But we're watching out over them. Uh, there's nothing more precious to, to parents and should be to, in every parent. Unfortunately, it's not always true. But there's nothing really more precious to parents than their children. And we would fight any devil we could fight for our children. Amen. We'd fight anything that we could to do. We'd, we'd take our children around the world to find the medicine. We'd take them anywhere we could do. Whatever we could do to help our children, we would do that. But God's a father too. God is a father. Where did that come from? It came from God. In the heart of God. And God did not restrict them from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil simply to, to hide from them this knowledge of evil. He told them that the day that you eat of that, you're going to lose the light. You're going to lose your innocence. And you're going to fall. And so again, we don't know how long they were in the garden, but there, there came a day that Eve first took of the tree. And of course, we always you know, picture an apple, I guess. But it's, it, what the fruit was doesn't matter. But she partook of that tree, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam was watching from behind some bushes. And when he saw her take of the tree, he knew that God had said that if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. But he didn't really know what death was. Because he lived in a world without death. <laughs> there had no, been no fall. There was no death. So Adam is watching. She eats the fruit. And as far as Adam can tell, nothing happened. After all this time in the garden, after all this time trying to comprehend why God doesn't want me to receive from that, now she is taken of the fruit of the tree and she looks just fine. 
Looks like everything's okay. Right? And then Adam took up the fruit. Adam blew it. God gave the word to Adam. Adam had the authority on that. I am persuaded that Adam could have stood in redemption for her. That if he had not taken the fruit, if Adam had not taken the fruit, I believe that God would have come down and would have, of course, revealed that Eve had sinned. He knows that she had sinned. But Adam, I believe, had the authority that she could have still, they could have stayed in the garden had Adam stayed away from the fruit. Instead of him joining her. Some people say, well, you know, I think Adam loved her so much. He just, he saw her take of the fruit. And, and uh, so he was watching that. And he thought, well, if she's going to fall, I'm going to fall. And I say, uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. If he cared that much, he'd come running. He'd come running out of that bush. He'd come out running out of watching, watching her take that fruit. He would have come out there and said, stop, 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 stop. But he's, instead, he's like, hmm, wonder what's going to happen. Wonder what's going to happen. Hmm? Wonder what's going to happen. Man, isn't it amazing that you can have a garden of all of these fruits and all of these things going on. And the one tree, God said, don't, don't eat of that. That's the one you want. It has to be so wonderful if even God doesn't want you to get a bite of it. But Adam sinned also because he loved her? No. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think because he, it appeared that nothing changed. So he said, hmm, isn't that the way it is? When you're growing up together with your friends, I remember youth group, and uh, there were youth group members doing things that, that are common to man, but were not the right things. And I had people in my life, and, and on the school bus or at school, there's times, uh, you know, as we, we were uh, from elementary school into junior high, we were pretty much the same class. It was a smaller school. And uh, they had about three classes, and they kept them together for years. But I remember, I remember some of the friends, and I could call by name, and they said, don't you think you're missing out on something? Don't you think you're missing out on something? And, and that's out of this very story. That's the whole premise of do I take the fruit or not? I don't want to miss out with something of pleasure and, and beauty and uh, all of those things. I want to live life. You know, people say, man, you, you're wasting your life. You're not having any fun in life. I started preaching at nine, okay? So, you know, that was a little different. Uh, and so I've been kind of serious turned. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I'm kind of serious turned in things. Um, but they'd say that. You're going to miss out on the fun in the world. You know what? I didn't miss out. I didn't just take any apple. <laughs> God, put it, God put an apple in my eye. Right? 
He brought somebody who also had a calling, also had an unction, somebody who also was making choices and decisions and things. And if you talk to Leela, and I'm sure the, uh, she enjoys talking to the young ladies sometimes, um, you know, that she, she'll admit, you know, there was a certain point up in, into her life that she really was trying to fit in with the world, was trying to fit in. She still wasn't fitting in. She was trying to. And then, you know, it just came. God began to move and it just came into her st- to just stop trying to be in the world. Won't you just yield to the, to the Holy Spirit? Won't you just yield to God? Won't you just yield to the plan of God? God's plan is much greater than you would have ever planned for yourself. And you know what? These guys that ask me, man... Aren't you missing out on the, on the life in this world? I've been on five continents. I have seen the sun rise over many different horizons and set. I've flown over places and looked and, and seen all of this. I've been up in the clouds and hundreds of times up and down in airports, airplanes, and all of those things. Preach the gospel on the continents, preach the gospel. And the same God show up. It didn't matter if it was Brazil or if it was, uh, where? Ethiopia. You know, India. Wherever. And God is there. Last time we were in uh, India, I saw the Taj Mahal. First time I'd ever seen it. I'd been there several times and we just never really took the time. And it was a pretty good drive from where we were, a pretty long day. But I tell you, it is deservingly to be a wonder of the world. It is. It's amazing. It would be amazing and phenomenal if they built it last year with modern technology. They built it without any modern technology. They had stones, you know, as big as this part of the platform that they moved into foundations with human beings. (laughs) And, you know, some animals, and then they, they developed a lot of things, you know, pulleys and different things. And it's, it really is a wonder of the world. But can I tell you something? Can I remind you of something? That great wonder of the world, can you think about the most amazing thing that you've ever seen? Can you think about that? What is the most amazing thing you've ever seen? What, are you, what just blew your mind? To the point that you said, you know what, I've got, got to go back just in case I miss saw something. But God said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for them that love Him. Amen. The Taj Mahal is a great feat of man's ingenuity and an impossible time hold. It is a wonder of this world, but it will pale in comparison when we enter into that city of God, into the government of God, when we come through those pearly gates. The Taj Mahal is going to look like a shack down a dirty old road somewhere because God said, I has not seen an ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the 
heart of man what God has prepared for those that love Him. Listen, we're not just going from Sunday to Sunday. We're going from Sunday to heaven. We're going from Sunday to the kingdom of God. Amen. I don't know when the trumpet's going to sound, but I tell you, I just, I've just already made up my mind. I'm going to be busy till He comes. I'm going to do what I can do until He comes. Amen. And when that trumpet sounds, there's not one thing on this earth I'm going to wonder if, if I'm going to miss that or miss that. No, no, no. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he's got a city that he's building for his people. He's going to bring the new Jerusalem to heaven and from heaven to earth in Revelation 21. He brings the city down here. God makes earth heaven. He brings his headquarters here. On this earth. Well, that sounds impossible. You're right. We just happen to serve a God who does the impossible. He does the impossible. He's capable of doing that. Because with God, all things are possible. Amen? All things. It's the worst life you're ever going to live in right here. You're going to have more questions and confusion here than you'll ever have in the kingdom. <laughs> you're going to come in before a living God. And you're going to go and you're going to bow before a Savior whose wrists are still scarred. The star in His side. The beating on His back. The Lamb. We're going to see a Lamb that had been slain. Amen. Our Savior. Our Master. Amen. There's still a devil. But it's not always going to happen. We found him to be a hissing devil in the garden. 1 Peter 5.8. I won't take as long on this point. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary... He, God does not tell us the devil is our friend. He's not our party planner. He's our adversary. He's our adversary. Right? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Right? May devour. He didn't say who he's going to devour. He's not seeking whom he's going to devour. He's seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, resist him. Those are really good two words after that, isn't it? The devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Peter says, you know Peter. <laughs> you know all about him. He says, resist the devil. Be steadfast. How do you resist him? Steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in, in, in the world. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? And so we see that there is a roaring lion. We see that he was in the garden. We see that he was at one time in heaven. We know that he's been upon the earth. And we know that right now we are living in these verses. We need to be sober. Not drunken. Not intoxicated with this world. But if you want to be intoxicated, get intoxicated about the kingdom of heaven. 
Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He has to have permission to devour you. He is not devouring whoever he may. He's seeking whom he may devour. Who he may devour. A roaring lion. It still sounds pretty strong. You know, if, are we in life and, and in this world, the devil is as a, a roaring lion in this world? It seems, you know, that's still a lot of power, a lot of authority, a lot of fear tactic and all that. But don't stop. Right? Resist them steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And then in Revelation 20.10. I like Revelation 20.10. I've got a new Bible, and I've already put an ink circle around verse 10 of Revelation chapter 20. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. He came as Lucifer, luminous. He became the devil and Satan. He conducted his ways as a hissing serpent. And in Peter, he said that he comes as a roaring lion. A hissing serpent we need not to be beguiled by. How do you handle a serpent? With a hole, baby. <laughs> right? They didn't have a garden hole back in that time, so they took a stone. Right? Right? That's how you deal with a hissing serpent. First Peter said, he's a roaring lion. John, the revelator, said, <laughs> oh, I saw him. I saw him. Revelation 20.10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. We are going to live in a devilless future. <laughs> He's going to the pit. He's going to the lake of fire forever and ever. And then he said, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. I not only saw the throne, I saw the king sitting on that throne. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in them. Every uh, time that a ship went down, you know, those souls went on into eternity. And he says that the seas would actually give up, deliver up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. 
Then death and Hades, or death and hell in King James, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We have a devilless future. We have eons of time that we will no longer be hindered by this, this deceiver. This rebellious creature. Hallelujah. That's good. Even better. God sitting on a great white throne. <laughs> when the devil's cast into the lake of fire, but God still sits on the throne. Amen. <laughs> Brother and sister, just to put it shortly, we win. We win. You mean my faith in Jesus will get me to a city whose builder and maker is God? Yep. Amen. Yep. Amen. <laughs> it's awesome. Read up on heaven sometimes. Get into that and understand God. Mercy. Chapter 21, there's a lot of detail about uh, heaven. Where the gates are, there's three gates on the east and uh, all of those things. So there's 12 gates in the city. There's 12 foundations of the cities. The names of the 12 apostles are on those. How many of you think that God likes 12? God likes 12. Amen. He said a dozen eggs, not 15, right? God. <laughs> Throw that out there. Says it's, it's laid out square. It's length and great as, as, as much as its breadth. He measured the city, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Length, breadth, and height are equal. It's not only going to be wide. It's not only going to be long. It's going to be tall. It's going to be magnificent. Magnificent. Streets paved with gold. Why? Because it's... The cheapest thing maybe he's got to build roads with. I don't know. Somebody told me one time, they said, I would be more impressed if God's streets were dirt. <laughs> and I said, really, would you? You really want me to believe that? Yeah, I would be more impressed if God's roads were dirt. Well, what do you believe about God? I don't believe there is a God. Thank you. Shut up. Huh? What? You don't believe in him. You don't know him. You have no opinion on the city. Amen. And it's not that God is showing off that I have that much gold, but that God is so rich, he's able to pave his streets with gold. Amen. Stand with me. Thank you for listening to today's Church of the Living God, Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you were blessed by today's word. If you'd like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.